Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the World Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and 1650 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we're excited to be joined by Leslie Horton, a retired nurse and certified dog trainer who serves as Anova Health System's Animal Assisted Care Coordinator. Leslie joins us for a conversation about her clinical and canine experience, the role animals can play in helping patients during recovery, and more. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we appreciate you joining us. So let's just start by learning a little bit more about you. Your professional journey, as I mentioned, began in critical care nursing, and over the past two decades, it's evolved into working with dogs in various professional capacities. We'll chat about those topics in more detail in just a moment, but just to begin with, what are some essential things about you that people should know? Well, I think that one of the nice things about what I do is I have experience as a patient. I have experience with a chronic health issue. I also have experience as a critical care nurse. I also have experience as a home health nurse, and I am a professional canine trainer, and I train service dogs for people with disabilities. So when we discuss this topic, I can see it from multiple views, which is kind of nice. Absolutely. Having that holistic perspective, I can imagine, could be helpful in the work that you do. We mentioned, and you just alluded to this, that you worked as a critical care nurse in hospital settings. I'm curious to know just about the transition from that work to becoming a dog trainer and the inspiration for applying that skill set to patient care. Well, life happens. And what I did is I wanted, I was a trauma ICU nurse and I wanted to do search and rescue. And I went to dog training school to learn how to train a dog for search and rescue and came back and had symptoms of a neurological disability and was unable to do search and rescue. But when I was able to come back to the bedside as a trauma nurse, I was taking care of a patient with a spinal cord injury and he was extremely depressed, rightfully so. And I wanted to know if we could help him get through the stages of grieving by introducing him to a dog in the hospital. and. I approached the vice president at the time of the hospital, and we presented to the board, and then we started this program as a pilot on the neuroscience floor and the oncology floor, and then it has grown to being not only now Nova Fairfax Medical Campus-wide, but system-wide. And that's a great segue to my next question, which is about the animal-assisted care program in the Inova Health System. This program dates to the early 2000s. I think most people who have pets, myself included, intuitively understand the comfort and love that they provide. There's also a body of scholarly research, including some that you conducted, about the benefits of animal-assisted therapy for people with traumatic brain injuries, showing the value of animal-supported therapy. So if you would, can you just tell us about your observations, having done this now for several decades, about the ways in which interactions between patients and trained animals in clinical settings can be beneficial? The best way that I can put this, and in the shortest way I can put it, is I have always strived to be an excellent nurse. But I will tell you, the dogs humble you. 
because the dogs can touch in areas we cannot. We have patients who have traumatic brain injuries who do not wake up for their family members. They do not wake up for the medical team, but we put a dog on the bed and the dog touches something in them and we actually have changes in level of consciousness with the dog on the bed. We have patients who are terminally ill who are unresponsive. You put a dog on the bed and they speak with their families before they pass. There are people who don't want to brush their own hair after having had a stroke, but they will brush the coat of hair, uh, fur on a dog. They don't want to walk post-op surgery, but they'll walk with the dog. So I don't think there's a way to really quantify it all. It's just amazing to watch. That's fascinating to hear that the dog can prompt those responses in people, some of whom are unresponsive. And I think, again, as, as I mentioned, I think people who are around animals have pets intuitively understand, even if they don't you know, have the perhaps the, the scientific or the quantitative backing to explain that. I mean, I, I certainly know that, you know, when I'm having a bad day, you know, picking my dog up and holding him, letting him lick my face, it makes me feel better. So that's just that's just fascinating to hear that it can uh, dogs can draw those responses in people who have had significant clinical challenges. I know that you have been the founder of something called the Most Fine Canine Training Program to, and you talked about this a little bit earlier uh, when you talked about your, your initial aspirations for working in search and rescue. I wonder what goes into the training of a service dog, and, and I wonder if you can talk about the different types of service dogs, because you know there may be service dogs that support individuals who need different types of support. Can you tell us just a little bit about the training process? I, I would imagine uh, it's lengthy, and then the different types of support that dogs who go through training can provide in terms of service to individuals. I'm going to ask for a little patience here because I think the most important thing to do is define all of the terms. So service dogs are dogs that are protected under Title III of the United States Department of Justice, and they are Consider them like medical equipment. They have to perform trained tasks and behave in a manner that does not interfere with the ability for any institution or organization to conduct business. The second type of dog is an emotional support animal, and it's also not limited only to dogs, and those are protected by HUD. These are animals that their very presence mitigates a disability. These animals only have access in housing under HUD. The other type of animal is a therapy animal, and these animals are pets. With these animals, the handler and the dog or any other animal can be trained to go into institutions such as schools, prisons, hospitals to help people feel better and maximize the use of the animal, the human-animal bond. Then the other type of animal that you have are facility dogs, and we're seeing more and more of these because we're seeing the value of these animals. Facility dogs are dogs that work with an employee and also are trained to provide interactions with, say, victims of violence in a police department, help people testify in court, work in hospitals to help engage with the patients, also decrease stress of staff who's working in, in their work environment. So I think it's real important to understand the differences between the four because they're often interchanged, and when they're interchanged, there becomes confusion. So the 
service dog is a dog that is actually working to mitigate a disability. And diagnosis does not necessarily equal disability. So people need to be aware of that as well. So in other words, I can be diagnosed with diabetes but not have it to the level of a disability. I can also be diagnosed with diabetes and have it to the level of a disability where a dog scenting my blood sugar can actually alert me that I'm having trouble and then take action to tell me to take action to correct my blood sugar. So the training of a service dog takes a lot because the dog has to be not only behaved well in public, but maintain that behavior in public environments. So he's got to be able to go in public transportation. He's got to be able to go to the office or the place of work with the handler. He's got to be able, he or she has got to be able to help the handler. And then if they go shopping, they have to go with them shopping after their work day. Then they have to help them when they get home. And then they have to help them when they're getting ready to go to bed. So that type of work and that type of dog has to want to be with somebody and has to be healthy and has to drive to want to be with that person and have that work ethic. Just like every child does not grow up to be an astronaut, not every dog can be a service dog. Well, I appreciate that explanation. It was detailed and really provided the distinction between the different categories. So thank you for walking us through that. And then I did want to talk about some of the dogs on the ANOVA team. Their names are Bartley, Jeremiah, and Moo. You referenced facility dogs, and those three dogs recently participated in a ceremony celebrating their promotion from facility dogs to the new title of chief comfort officers. And you mentioned in this conversation their benefits for patients, but also for staff who may be experiencing emotional distress. Certainly, we know that frontline healthcare providers, especially coming off this three-year pandemic period, it's been challenging emotionally and physically. So I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about the chief comfort officers at ANOVA and about the work that they do. They go to work with, they are owned by an employee, and they have handlers in case the employee is busy. They have other handlers that can take them around. We do require a physician's order. We do our best to meet APEC guidelines or infection control guidelines. And these animals are amazing. They will sit with patients who are terminally ill until their heart stops if they're in the active stages of dying. They will see staff, as we mentioned, when they are stressed. They also, Moo, who is at Loudon, helps with rehabilitation and patients in therapy. So these animals help engage the person so that the person wants to do the tasking that helps them get better. Well, Leslie, I really appreciate you being with us today, and I want to thank you for educating us about what goes into training a service dog, and the different types of service dogs. Before we let you go, it is a tradition here on the Patients Come First podcast to ask our guests a pair of sort of fun, quirky questions just to give listeners a little bit of sense of who they are beyond the conversation that we've just had about their work. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions. So if you would, pick two numbers between 1 and 10, and then I'll ask you the corresponding questions. Oh, this is a blast. I'm in. Uh, I'll take two and eight. Okay, two. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book 
one album and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? My favorite book and movie are Horton Hears a Who. Go ahead. Rope me. Cage me. Do whatever you want. But there are people on this speck, and they have a mare who has 96 daughters and one son named Jojo, who all share a bathroom, whatever that is. And even though you can't hear or see them at all, a person's a person, no matter how small. And ironically, I grew up and married a Horton, so that's easy. (laughs) Dr. Seuss. And then I'm going to date myself here, but I would say the Michael Jackson Thriller album so I could dance around the island. It's close to midnight. Something evil's lurking in the dark. Under the moonlight. You see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream. classic that's a timeless classic and then you also selected number eight number eight is tell me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it it makes you smile so my father and i went inline skating at a park and there was a lot of gravel and we nearly killed ourselves several times but we were both adults and I'd have to say that time with my father was precious and probably one of my best memories. Okay. Well, we're just coming off of Father's Day. We're recording this uh, two days after Father's Day, so thank you for I just hope I don't get in trouble because I didn't say my wedding. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's something for you and Horton to discuss, right? Well, listen, Leslie, uh, I want to thank you again for being with us. And that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Leslie Horton, for being with us today. So thank you. Thanks again for having me. 